glad that you're here to uh, take the word in and uh, see what God wants to do in your life and uh, how to apply your life to what he's, what he's uh, teaching you. And as well, um, for those who are visiting with us, we're glad you're here. For those listening online, glad you're tuning in as well. So we're finishing up a series that we've been on for uh, three weeks. So this is our fourth week and just uh, finishing up a series on the tongue. We've been talking about this, this little this little thing that gets us into so much trouble. Uh, and and uh, we talked about, you know, uh, watching your mouth. We tell our kids, you know, watch your mouth. Uh, and yet we probably need that uh, advice more than they do. Uh, that the words we speak are so powerful. They're powerful for good. They're powerful for, for evil. They're, they're uh, strong enough to, to cause life. And they're strong enough to cause death in uh, all kinds of areas. And so we challenged, you know, last week to watch your mouth, to just listen. What's coming out? What's coming out of my heart? Is it, is it, uh, is it positive, life-giving speech that's encouraging to others? Or is it tearing them down? Or is it complaining? Or is it negativity that just, that just seems to always come out from the inside? And so we encouraged you last week to speak life wherever you had the chance. And, and um, you know, we talked about at the very beginning that we might discover that the words coming out of our mouth aren't really everything that, we're, you know, that we had hoped they would be. And, and what can we do about that? And we said, don't try and change things. Don't try and fix it along the way. You know, maybe washing your mouth out with soap or whatever, whatever things you want to try. The cure. I had three titles for this message, but that's the one I want to leave. The cure. Uh, how can we change the words that are coming out of our mouth? Though it's not easy, it's simple. And it's actually just one little word. The cure for complaining, the cure for all of the negativity that comes out uh, from us is this one word called thankful. One word, one small thing, can be other words like thanks or contentment, but this idea of being thankful. Uh, as many of you know, on Thursday of this week in, the, in, this, in our United States, our brothers to the south, they had Thanksgiving Day, and they're a little bit late. You know, Canadians were first to the table. You know, as uh, we had Thanksgiving a couple uh, a month or so ago, uh, and it's actually because it's always been that way. Canada's Thanksgiving was first in 1578. It took another whatever, however many years. My math is not great this morning, but in 1621 was the first time that the Americans cele- uh, celebrated Thanksgiving over at Plymouth Rock. But um, you know, this amazing day set aside for us to just. Be intentionally thankful. And they said, we, we want to set this up. We want to make sure there's this day of, in, of intentional thanks because uh, if we don't, we're just going to forget. We're, we're going to forget to be, remain thankful for everything that we have. And so that's kind of this day that, you know, we, we take in, uh, you know, throughout our, throughout, um, our, our culture, you know, this, this time of, of giving thanks. And then the very next day is Friday, also known as Black Friday. And for those of you who are doing your Christmas shopping, nothing says like, you know, you care, like giving a Christmas gift that you had to elbow drop somebody to get. But it's, uh, it's, still, it's still this day. All of a sudden, that's like the, the polar opposite of what, uh, what, the, what Thanksgiving Day is. Uh, and, and Black Friday, the way we know it, began in the late 1800s, actually. It's been around for a while. It was first called Black Friday uh, for this reason in, in 1966. Before that, it used to be Black Friday was because of a stock market crash. And so this Black Friday started because the, the people who were having turkey on Thursdays, they, they, they weren't feeling so well the next day. It's too tough to get up. So, they, so they'd call in sick and have a four-day weekend. Well, they weren't actually sick, so they would spend that day shopping. And pretty soon retailers realized, wait a second, if everybody's sick and shopping, this is a great day to attract people to the, to the stores. And so Black Friday uh, be, uh, began and 
it, it started that many years ago, but it's become all of these different things. And I found some cool memes. I hope that's how you pronounce that. I'm not down with all them young talk anymore. But whatever you want to call these things, found this one. The first rule for Black Friday is there are no rules. You just park wherever you want to park. I like I want one of those cars now. I can park anywhere. All right? and, then, and then for you dog lovers, PetSmart also has uh, Black Friday. That's what it looks like at PetSmart. Uh, but somehow it all turned into stuff like this, you know? As long as I'm the last person to touch it, you know, then it's mine, right? And, and then even to, even to escalate to this, you know, where people are duking it out on Black Friday. And we know as you look at the pictures, you know that those are Americans. Because when, when there was a, a Canadian fight on Black Friday this week, it was on the news that two Canadians were fighting over a flat screen. The one was like, you take it. And they was like, no, 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 you take it. And it was like, no, you were in line first. I'm like, no, but you saw it first, right? And so it just didn't, didn't make it. And the picture wasn't as good. But it's kind of ironic, right, that, that this one day of, of, oh, I'm so thankful for everything I've been given, in the very next day, that, that inner part of us, that human nature, that insatiable greed that we have for stuff just rises to the top again. And I know, you know, it's a good thing those weren't pictures of any of you there visibly fighting. But the, 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 the things you see, you know, all over the news, it's a visible indicator of a heart condition that's common to every one of us. We may not be out there duking it out, but there's something on the inside of us that has, that, that sometimes rears its, you know, its ugly head of, you know, I just need a little bit more. And that, that's rooted in this thought of, of not being thankful for what you have. For those who are completely content, they're not out of those places. They're, they don't have that. And it's not just shopping. It's other things as well. But it's that, I, it's that, that inner um, invisible thing that's shown through some of these visible pictures. And we've looked at this topic of being thankful. We've looked at the topic uh, of, of contentment when it comes to stuff and when it comes to money. But today I want to look at it in a different way as uh, just in how it relates to the words we speak. Because the words we speak are much more powerful than the dollars we spend. And as we focus this last little while on, on the words, oftentimes the words that come out of our mouths, is, they're focused on all that's wrong in our lives. They're focused on the things that we don't have. And when we don't have them long enough, we feel like we need them, even though you don't need them. It becomes this thing that we, we talk about and uh, leads us to this, to this language that comes out of us that, that we're not always happy with and others aren't either. Um, have you met a complainer before? You know, I know, if you've met me, you've met one, right? So there's, there's uh, you know, we, we all know when you meet a complainer, someone who, who uh, just sees things, and sees the negative side of situations and scenarios. And, but have you ever met those people that just never seem to complain? Like, you know their lives aren't going well, and yet when, it's neat to hear this morning, even how Alice just shared the, the story that she's going through, but what her take on it was, you know, seeing the goodness of God. Uh, there's this, this older gentleman that I had a chance to work with uh, over the last little while, and as I was, I, I'd go to his place, and I'd say, hey, how you doing? And every time, it would be something to the lines of, oh, I'm great. I got nothing to complain about, as he can barely sort of get to the door to answer it. You know, and, says, and if I did have something to complain about, it wouldn't do much good complaining about it now, would it? And I'm like, uh... No, you're right. And then it's like, now I can't complain about anything. And so I hang out with him for a day, and I'm like, man, I want to be like that guy when I grow up someday. You know, that's that, that having that thought of, of seeing it differently and realizing I feel a whole lot better being around somebody who's not, you know, who's not complaining about the things that they're going through. Because we know they're going through stuff, and yet, what is it? The thing is that those people have learned how to watch their mouth. They've really learned this, this, um, this skill of watching their mouth no matter what they're going through. And so this morning... 
I want to tell you three quick stories, and then we're going to share communion together. The three stories, I was, going to, I was tempted to call this message two hymns and a her, uh, but uh, it's not really good grammar, right? But you might remember it. So two hymns and a her. We'll start with one of the hymns. And it's, there's a guy named Martin Rinkhart, and uh, he wrote a hymn, uh, which, is, which you didn't probably see coming. But it's a song, for those of you who are not used to um, being raised in you know, traditional churches, they would sing these things called hymns. And there's a, there's a certain hymn or song that's often sung around Thanksgiving in churches all over, uh, all over uh, North America and, and around the world. And it's this hymn called, Now Thank We All Our God. Uh, it's, it's, you know, probably because the, the worship leader's like, what songs are we going to do for Thanksgiving? Google up hymns for Thanksgiving, and this one will come up as number one. It's, if you've been, if you were raised in a, in a more traditional church where they had the pipe organ, maybe you can picture it. This crowd of people in this moment of, th- of Thanksgiving where they're like, man, thinking about all the blessings they have in their life. And it's, the, it's that hymn that's a little upbeat, right? And so it's, it's really going, and people are like singing across the room. They're thinking about all the goodness that they have in their lives. Some of them are thinking about the turkey and cranberry sauce they're going to have later. But they're thankful for all of that, and they sing it, from, sing it with gusto. But it wasn't written in that type of um, scenario at all. This song called Now Thank We All Our God was written in the mid-1600s by a pastor uh, living in a place called Eilenburg, Germany. His name is Martin Rinkart, and so here's a, here's a plaque of uh, Martin. This is in uh, Eilenburg. He wasn't from Eilenburg. He was from another place. He was an incredible musician, uh, and as a pastor, he had moved to Eilenburg to, to help take care of the refugees that were um, showing up there as a result of the 30-year war. Uh, and so he was he was actually, you know, as he came there, the refugees came there. Something else also came to Eilenburg, and it was called the plague. And so this, um, this, this man named Martin was one of the last pastors alive in Eilenburg uh, during this war because the plague had wiped out uh, all of the rest of them. So he spent most of his time, every single day, most of his time was spent doing funerals. He would do up to 50 funerals in a day. He buried 5,000 of his parishioners and the other uh, uh, followers of Christ. In, in that area, 5,000 people. And it's in the midst of this dark and fearful, disease-ridden, economically destitute time that he sat down at his dinner table one night with a few meager scraps of food, his kids around there, and he began to write these words. And he started with this, Now, thank we all our God. With heart, with hands, with voices. You know, knowing that just outside, all around, is just death and darkness and fear, He says, it's the wondrous things that God has done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. And if you know the rest of the song, it goes like this. So may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and guard us through all the ills in this world till the next. And then he ends it again by saying, all praise and all thanks to God, the Father, now be given. The Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven. The one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. I'm like, where's the verse about everything's going wrong, God? Where's the verse about, you know, how come you're doing this to me? Why did you call me here? Like, am I, my days are numbered. Nothing. Just this thought of being thankful. When it seems like all is not good, how can they say all praise and thanks be giving? Do you know what I learned about him? is just that he learned to watch his mouth and the words that he spoke. It's amazing. Because he did, they still speak 350 years later. 
here they are sung all over the place and, and, and spoken of in this moment today. Why? Because someone had learned how to watch their mouth and the power of those words rings true and rings on. But there's another story. There's a story of a woman in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can go there. We'll get there in a second. But the story in, in 2 Kings chapter 4 starts with this man named Elisha. He's a, he's a a uh, famous prophet back then, you know, God didn't just speak to everyone and anyone at any time. You know, because of sin, there was these limitations where he'd speak through certain people at certain times. So for those of you who think that's still the way, like you got to go and hear the pastor tell you what God's saying, it's not that way anymore. God wants relationship with you. But back then, that's how it worked. And so this man named Elisha would travel from his home to a place called Mount Carmel, and in between there was this little place called Shunem. So a little map for you, uh, in case you wonder what Elisha looks like, that we, we have a picture. Uh, but uh, Shunem is the place where, where he, would, um, he would go through on his way through. And there was a, there was a woman who lived there, uh, her and her husband, they were really well off. And one of the things you wanted was access to God, right? That if, you, if you had somebody coming through where you could say, hey, you know, would you pray about this? Or, hey, I have a question, what would the Lord say about this? You kind of wanted a prophet to be close. And so she asked her husband and said, can we build a room for this guy so that when he comes through, he can stay here. And then, then he'll always be close. And so they did. And, and Elisha actually would stop there uh, often and, and would spend uh, time there. And as he's, as he's there one day with his servant, his name was Gehazi. Elisha and Gehazi are you know, probably in that room. And they're like, man, this is, like pretty, this is a pretty great hotel. You know, It's like free and they feed us and it's always here and it's just for us. Like, what can we do to thank this woman? And Elisha says, you know, Gehazi, go, go ask her what we can do. And so Gehazi goes, and he's like, hey, you know, we want to thank you for what you've done for us. What can we do for you? And it's amazing, the words of, that she says, like, as he says, hey, can we go talk to the king on your behalf? You know, can we, is there anything we can give to you? And she says, you know what? No, I'm content. I have everything I need. I live in the country with my own people. I'm good. And so Gehazi goes back and is like, yeah, you know what? She says she's got everything. She doesn't need anything. But I noticed something. She has no kids. And Elisha's like, well, we can do something about that. It's not what you think. But uh, so Elisha says, you know, realizing that in a generation, in a time frame where women without children, that was a shame-filled thing. There was a lot of shame if you were a woman and didn't have, have children. People would look down on you for that. And so uh, Elisha calls her in and says, hey, you know, we just want to tell you that by next year, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, oh, don't tell me that. You know, I've hoped for that my whole life. You know, I've always wanted, but don't, like, I've given up on that. He's like, no, no, you'll have a baby in a year from now. And I would encourage you, you know, don't tell women that unless you for sure that that's the Lord uh, in our day and age. But, but uh, he says, you know, just you're going to have a baby. And so she leaves. Sure enough, one year later, she gives birth to a healthy baby boy. And here's where the story picks up. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18. It says, and that child grew. And it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And when you read that, you know, you read my head, my head. In, in literary forms, when they, would, uh, when they wanted to do like bold or caps lock, they didn't have that. So what they would do is just repeat the thing. So as he's coming to his dad, he's screaming, my head. And as his dad says, you know what, like most of us would say, hey, carry him to his mother, right? And so the, the dad uh, sends the child to his mom in verse 20. It says, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. You know, if you can picture this story, and it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching to picture, and I'm hesitant to even say these words because it, it, it carries such strong emotion, but I want you to understand and feel what this woman would have felt. She's sitting there with her, her only child who passes away in her lap, 
And it says this, because the reason why to think about it is what would we say in that moment? What would be the words that would come flooding from our, what would be the thoughts, what would the emotion that would want to come out in a moment like that? Verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and she went out. Then she called to her husband, verse 22, and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I might run to the man of God and come back. Verse 23, it said, he says to her, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon, it's not the Sabbath. Why are you going there today? And she said, it is well. That's not the words that I think would be coming out of our mouths in a moment like that. That's not the, that's not the things that we would be saying. We, if it was me, I'd be in a panic or in a, you know, freaking out like, uh, about the worst possible thing that's happened. But she doesn't say that. She says, you know what, I'm going to the man of God and I'm, gonna say, you know, I'm, I'm watching my tongue. I'm just simply going to say, you know, it's well. We'll find a little bit more later. Then it says in verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Don't slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. You saw on the map how far that was. It was farther than this. It was actually 15 miles and over treacherous terrain. But it says that, it, so it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, it's that Shunammite woman. In verse 26, he says, please run now to her, meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? You know, if you ever had the opportunity, if she ever had the opportunity, just say it like it is. It was now. And Gehazi asks her, is everything well? Is everything okay? And she says, it's well. It is well. It'd be like, one, it'd be like us, you know, where people like say, it's all good. You know, it's, it's all good. Like uh, you, you meet somebody broken down on the side of the road. And you're like, hey, can we help you? No, it's all good. I got a cell phone or it's all, it's that, that thing. And, and here she says, no, it's well. But then in verse 27, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. And Gehazi came and tried to push her away. But the man of God said to her, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden from me what it is and has not told me. And so she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say don't deceive me? And instantly Elisha knows what's gone on. And if you read the rest of the story, we won't for the sake of time, but she sends, uh, he sends Gehazi uh, on ahead to confirm that this, that this child has actually passed away. But then she says, I'm not going anywhere unless you come with me. And so Elisha and her make that same 15-mile um, trip again back down to Shunem. And when he gets there, realizes the child is dead, but he raises that child from the dead. It's just a powerful, powerful story about the power of God. But there's something else in this story. And it's not because she said it is well. It's not one of those things of, hey, name it, claim it, that the words uh, determined the outcome. It wasn't like, well, if I just say it's all good, then it's actually going to be all good. It tells us something about this woman, and it tells us something about Martin when we look at it, that these people were intentionally thankful as people before tragedy struck. How can you ever say all is well, or it is well, or you could possibly say that it is well when all is not well? It's people who have been intentionally thankful before tragedy strikes. People who intentionally watch their mouth saying, you know what, this is my circumstance, but there's bigger things. There's a God who is good. There's things that I know to be true. That, yay, I might have lost my nephew, but I will see him again. That my God is good. That it is well for those of you who may not know that story, you may know this one. And it's the second hymn. His name's Horatio. For those of you who have been uh, raised, you may recognize this uh, story. Uh, but Horatio was a, a successful lawyer and businessman living in Chicago in the 1800s. But he was no stranger to uh, tears and tragedy. He's, he and his wife, Anna, 
had five children, but they lost their son, their youngest, to pneumonia, and then they lost their business to a fire in 1871. On November 21st, two years later, Horatio and his wife and their four kids wanted to go over to Europe to, um, to visit uh, his friend D.L. Moody and, and spend some time on vacation. And so they were about to leave and something called Horatio back to work. And so he told his wife and his, and his four daughters, get on that boat and I will see you in a, in a couple of weeks. And so Horatio went to work and they boarded that ship and headed off. Well, four days later, that ship collided with another ship, an iron-hulled Scottish ship. And uh, there's all kinds of artwork about it because it's an incredibly famous story. And realizing that they were in great danger, once they realized their ship was in worse shape than the other and realizing their ship may go down, Anna, the mother, called the four girls up onto the deck of that boat and they got down on their knees and they began to pray. As they prayed, they just prayed. and They were saying, God, we trust you no matter what. Well, approximately... 12 minutes later, they knew they were in danger, but it only took 12 minutes for that boat to go beneath the water and take uh, the, the majority of the passengers with it. There was a sailor there in a rowboat nearby, and he spotted a woman clinging to some of the wreckage, and so he rescued her, and it was Anna Spafford. As she got, got into the boat and they finished the trip, nine days later, they arrived in Cardiff, Wales, and she sent this telegram to her husband. He framed it later, and it's why we have it, but it says this, saved alone. What shall I do? Horatio's at work, gets, this, gets this, uh, this telegram that just lets him know that, wait, my wife saved alone. She's the only one left. And he realizes she's grieving, so he gets on the, a ticket on the next boat uh, to Europe. And as they're traveling across, on day four, the captain, being aware of Horatio's story, knowing why he's traveling, knowing that he lost four children on that previous ship, let him know and, and, and at that area and said, hey, this is the spot. This is the area where, you know, where that other ship went down. And as he's looking out across the water, as he's looking across the ocean at that point, he writes these words, words to a famous song called, When Peace Like a River. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It's well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. As he begins to look at and think about the incredible loss he has, he's not saying, it's all well with my situation. No, the situation's terrible, but there's something greater. Even though, in spite of all this unwell around me, I can say it is well with my soul. There's a greater importance to this. And then he sings these words, and I love them, and I think they fit for each and every one of us. He says this, my sin, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole. It's been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou will whisper thy peace to my soul. And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, that the trump would resound and the Lord would descend, and even so, it's well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It's not well in every situation of their lives, but it was well with his soul. And the challenge for us is what are the things that we focus on? What are the things that try and draw our attention that we think about, that we speak about, that we complain about? What are the things? Because I bet 
that yours and my everyday things pale in comparison to these. That if they who went through three really, really difficult things could say in those moments, you know what, it's well. That I will remain thankful, that I will remain in that. I could focus on that, but I'm not going to. I'd rather speak life into the things that still are. And it goes on to, to and we know these stories because um, Horatio and his wife ended up having three more children. And it was his daughter who, who uh, told the world of this story of her dad. The question this morning is, can you agree? Can you say, yeah, you know, in spite of anything that's going on, it's well with my soul. I want to ask the ushers to hand out the communion as we're doing this. I hope you can do two things at once. Don't be distracted by them because this is probably the most important part for each and us, uh, each one of us individually. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul wrote this letter to this group of Jesus followers. They were new to following Christ and things were not going well. They were incredibly persecuted because they were followers of Jesus. And so Paul writes them this letter and he tells them a number of things to encourage them. And then he kind of ends the letter with a whole bunch of like little bullet point things. And he says, hey, here's some of the things I want you to think about. Number one, he says, always be joyful. When? Always. Yeah, but Paul, you don't understand. Like we're being incredibly persecuted here. Like our lives are in danger. And he says... Always be joyful. Don't allow that joy to, to, be, uh, to be lost. I like the verse that Brian shared, you know, don't cast aside that confidence. Hold on to that confidence that you, uh, that you have. And then he says in the second part, thank you. In the second part of it, he, he goes on to say this, always be joyful and never stop praying. You know why I used to say never stop praying? Because, you know, in the times where he says always be joyful, it's not easy to be joyful when things aren't going very well. That's when it's like, oh, that's when he's saying you need to be joyful in those moments. Why is he saying never stop praying? Because it's the opposite. You know, when we're not going through good stuff, man, we're praying like crazy. God, you know, help me through this. This is all where our focus is. You know, when we slow down in that area, when we begin to think that everything's going well, like, all right, God, I got this, you know. Wife's happy, you know, kids are coming home on time, you know, the job is going well, everybody at school likes me. It's this thing where you begin to drift away, and he says, you know what? Never stop praying. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Verse 18, he says this, be thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. He's not, hey, he's not saying thank God uh, to, to any of these people. He's not telling them, hey, you know, thank you, Lord, that I have to do 50 funerals in a day. Thank you, Lord, that my son died. Or thank you, Lord, that I lost all my children. That's not what he's saying. That would be sick. What he's saying is saying, hey, in spite of everything that you're in, keep an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of being thankful. For that's God's will, that you would remain thankful. It's God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And when he uses those words, be thankful, it's actually this little Greek word called eucharisto. And maybe you've heard that word before, eucharist. You know, as you think of the things that are being passed around, we don't call it that. We call it the Lord's Supper. But for those of you who know uh, that term, eucharist, that's what it came from. It was this, it was this um, word that the, church, that the church later gave to that because of what Jesus did at, the, at, the, at that table that night. Jesus was sitting around with his disciples right before he was about to, uh, to die. And it says he took a cup and he gave thanks. He eucharisto. He gave thanks. And he, he knowing what he's about to go through. He could say, fellas, this is the worst day of my life. Tonight's going to be terrible. It's just going to be awful. I'm going to go through inc- incredible pain. I'm dying tonight. Like he could have gone through all that, but he doesn't. He says, you know what? This is, 
this is what I'm doing. This is why I came. I'm coming to save the world, and I never want you to forget what I did for you. So I'm going to give you a piece of bread. I'm going to give you a cup of, of juice, whatever they had that day. And he says, listen, I want you to remember that what I'm doing tonight, I'm doing for you. Don't forget that what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago, he did for you. Do you know why he's saying that? Because it's so easy for us to focus on what God hasn't done yet. Isn't it? Like, God, we pray, why haven't you done this for me? I heard somebody this week, you know, I go to church all the time. I sing. I'm like, I do every, I volunteer and I do all those things. And, and look at where I'm at. God still hasn't, you know, done what I needed him to do in my life. God, I've been praying for this. You know, I'm still single. I'm 30. You know, I'm praying and praying. God, how come you haven't brought him along yet? Whatever it may be in your life that you've prayed and you pray, and you're like, God, how come you haven't? Sometimes we get so focused on what God hasn't done that we forget that he actually has done everything that we need. You know, as I was prepping for this and thinking about this, I had to ask myself this question. If I consider what Christ did for me on a cross 2,000 years ago, when I was unlovable, undeserving of grace, and I think about that moment, does he really have to do anything more for me? Does he have to do anything more for me? See, we forget that what he's done is enough. We get so in this thing of I, I, I need something more that, that it is about us. So I thought about these words, if God never answers another prayer of mine, do I have enough to be thankful for? The cross says yes. If I were to lose every possession I have, do I have stuff to be thankful for? The cross says yes. If I were to lose every person that I hold dear, would I have enough to be thankful for? And the cross says yes. I wish that that would not happen to me or to any other person. But there is this thing, this ongoing thing, that we need to remain intentionally thankful and to live our lives out of that gratitude to what, the, to what God has already done. I love that song this morning. This is amazing grace. Jesus, I sing about all you've done for me. Because it's what you've already done. And so often our complaint, even as followers of Jesus, is, is simply focused on what we think he should be doing for us. In starting point, my last thought this morning, we have a starting point group here. I've loved sharing stories and, and uh, this journey of faith with that group of people. And as we sat there and we were talking and, and uh, dialoguing about that, you know, Jesus had people ask him, hey, what can I do to thank you? What do, I, what do I do for this amazing free gift of grace you've given me? And he basically would tell all of his followers then and today is, you know, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Go find, if you want to thank me for this amazing gift, then go out and show that love to someone else. Go do for one what you would have done for me. Go and, and, and what, you would, what you would say is uh, in gratitude and words of thanks, share those words with others. Watch, watch what you say, watch what you do, but live your life out finding ways to just say thank you for what he's already done. For some, it's like, man, that's where it started, and it's like, what more can I get? But to think that every sin that we've ever committed as deserving of death, has been washed away. That you can sit here this morning, no guilt, no shame necessary. If it, the enemy tries to put that on you, you don't need it because of what Jesus has done for you. So it's not easy, but it is simple. It's being in a place of just remembering that we have so much to be thankful for. So no matter the situation you find yourself in, I would encourage you to watch your mouth, to just watch the words that come out and realize, you know what, this is what I might be in. 
but I have so much to be thankful for and to speak those things. You'll speak life into all the situations in your life and in the lives of others. And Jesus said it to them that night. He said, you know what? Fellas, this is my body that was broken for you. Each and every person deserves punishment for the crimes we've committed against God. We think, you know, this thing of sin, I don't, you know, we don't call that, you know, really that anymore. It's like, you know, people, have, it's like a disease or they, they were born with these things. And, you know, but deep down inside of us, we know that if we're honest, we've let God down. And you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I believe in God. We can pretty much all agree that we've all let ourselves down at some point as well. You know, we say, I'm going to do that. And then we don't because there's something in us. That, that thing, that brokenness. And he said, you know what? My body's broken that you might be healed, that you might be whole. Health, that you might be uh, strengthened, that you might be complete. He says, this is what I've done for you. So as you take a moment, I just want you to, we sometimes go so quick through this, but would you just take a moment to thank God personally for what that means for you? You can do that in your head. We don't all want to hear. But take a moment to do that. God, thank you that you knew what we needed before we needed it, that you sent your son, that your body was broken for us. We do this 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 morning to remember you and your incredible sacrifice. It says after dinner, he took a cup. For them, they knew that Every year, a lamb had to die to wash or to cover their sin. He said, you know what? I'm washing it all away. That is incredible news for me. I believe it's incredible news for you. That you are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done. That you are eternally um, forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's an incredible, incredible gift. So this morning, he says that to you. You want to know if you're good with God? It's not by your actions. It's not by you trying to be good or be better. It's simply because of what he's done for you. In the same way that you accept a cup of juice, you have the opportunity to accept that forgiveness, that grace, that amazing freedom for yourself. Let's do that this morning. Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of freedom, the gift of life. This morning as we are surrounded by so many things vying for our attention and wanting us to consider all the things that aren't going right, we take this moment to think about the good, good news in our life, and that's what what you've done for us. Thank you that we can live today in your love, knowing that we can be confident of that, that as we know we're loved, we can love those around us. God, help us this week as we go from this place to continue to watch our mouth, to, to focus and speak on the things that we are thankful for. And may our world be changed as a result. May they hear in our words the, the life-giving power of your amazing son. Thank you for giving us a chance to, to be here together. We go out into our world to shine for you this week. In your name and for your glory. Amen.